If today is your first time, you've been to New Hope, I want to say welcome, and uh, we're glad that you came. We're in the last of a series on the Beatitudes, and if you have your Bible, which I would highly encourage all Christians to bring, I provide notes for those who don't have Bibles, and to help, just in case I get a bit carried away and go too fast, at least you've got some backup to find out where I'm up to. Okay, so if you'd like to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Father... Thank you for each person that you knew was going to be here today, that you want to speak to personally. I'm excited for what you're going to speak into their hearts. May I decrease and may you increase. May they forget any words of mine, but remember your words. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. There is a myth. And that myth says that in order to be happy, I must be liked by everybody. It is a myth. Young ladies, hear me. Young men, hear me. It is a myth. In fact, the Bible says this. The fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. It'll keep you as a prisoner. So the myth is having everybody trying to like you is going to make you happy. It's, it's just a, it's a myth. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, destroys myths, and he is a realist. And he's very honest about the consequences of following him. He is very honest. No holds barred. He said this, if you follow me, There are many people who are not going to like it. Many people. And certainly, if you live by these eight Beatitudes that we have been in for the last eight weeks, there are some people who will take exception to that, and they will be upset by you living this way. So, remember Jesus is a realist, and in the closing statement on the Sermon on the Mount the very last, he prepares you and me. And this is what he says. Matthew 5, verse 10. Happy, blessed, and to be envied are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Now, this statement was so shocking To the hearers, he repeats it twice. And actually, as you look at at the Bible, there's more space on this one beatitude than any of the other preceding seven. It is notable. It's like he's underlining this and emphasizing this. Again, in the next verse. But at this time, he now personalizes this for you. He personalizes it. Notice. Happy are you. This is you. When people insult you and persecute you and tell all kinds of evil lies against you because you are my followers. Be happy and glad for great is your reward. Excuse me, for a great reward is kept for you in heaven. This is how the prophets who lived before you were persecuted. So he lays out the first beatitude, and then he brings it down to a personal application. 
And again, he gives more space to that beatitude than any other. He's saying happy and healthy are those who can handle rejection like the prophets did. So today I'm going to look at three things. Firstly, the reality of harassment and persecution. The reality. Secondly, I'm going to take a look at the reasons for that. The reasons for persecution and harassment. And then, what should our response be? How should we be? Number one, the reality of harassment. Now notice, it will happen. It's a fact. You can count on it. The Bible says in verse 11, when men insult you. doesn't say if. It says, if you are my disciple, if you are my disciple, when. If, when. So he said, be prepared. Don't get caught off guard. This shouldn't surprise you. Actually, you may have noticed over the years, secular society has become more hostile towards Christianity. Has anybody noticed that? Can you see hands? Yeah. Young people take a look. It's going south, not north. So, number two, what are the reasons for harassment? And we're going to take the last part of verse 11. Second part of verse 11. Because, now this is a valid reason. A valid, there are lots of invalid reasons, we'll cover those. But this is a valid reason for harassment. Because you are my followers. That is a valid, and the valid reason he's talking about. He is not talking about being put down in the office because you're the office jerk. You're obnoxious. He is not talking about that. Because you're racking people up. You're always picking fights with people. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about the self-righteous Christian who wanders into the office offensively witnessing, you know, turn or burn, die and fry, you know, that type of thing. You know, God's called me, I'm so good, and you're so bad, and God's called me to tell me how bad and mean and rotten and ugly you are. He's not talking about persecution for being a, a genuine jerk. He's talking about persecution because you are true followers of him. So I just want to differentiate that. Some folks set themselves up as martyrs because they're irritating and because they are unreasonably stubborn. They're loud and they're a nuisance. No wonder they say, I'm persecuted. No wonder. Because they're acting obnoxiously. The right reason for harassment in your office or at university or at school is that you're being like Jesus. Jesus was none of those other things we mentioned. And the Bible says in John 15, 20, I haven't put that in your outline, but he says, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So he's saying, expect that if you're living the way I called you to live, like, like master, like servant. Now remember, the world crucified Jesus. And they would do the same today. They would absolutely do the same today. You see, the light in Jesus' life, 
make those in the darkness feel, ooh, uncomfortable. In fact, have you ever been in a really dark room and somebody's flicked the lights on and you go, whoa, it kind of hurts your eyes a bit. It hurts your eyes. Second Timothy 3.12, another verse you may want to just write out the side. It says, everyone who wants to live a godly life. Can I, can I see your hands if you want to live a godly life? Can I please see your hands? If you really do. Okay. I want you to look at the last part of this. Everyone who live, wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what it says. There's no sugarcoating this. If you're a Christian, expect some persecution. Again, that reference is 2 Timothy 3.12. If you want to live a godly life, it says everyone, I quote exactly, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. I was talking to somebody this week who was a businessman, and he refused to obey an unethical decision made by his superiors. Well, firstly, he was ridiculed, and then he was managed out of the business. It happens. Now, you say, oh, well, or I know of another instance when a teenager refused to take drugs or have sex before marriage. They were ridiculed. Just ridiculed. What are you? Are you gay? What's your problem? Why aren't you like the rest of us? Are you so holy Joe? That type of attitude. Expect that. Don't be surprised. Expect it. That's what the Bible says. Now, some of you are sitting here today and saying, well, Pastor Ian, I actually don't really need this message. Nobody has ever hassled me about being a Christian. What does that tell you? I'll tell you what it tells you. It tells you that you're no different than anybody else. You're no different than the culture. That's another thing. Number three. How do I respond to harassment? Because it will come. We've looked at the reality. We've looked at the reason. Let's now look at the response to harassment. How do you handle harassment when you are persecuted for your faith? Number one, you need to recognize the source. Very quickly. The Bible says we are not fighting against human beings, but against wicked spiritual forces. So... This is how this works. The child of God, God has an enemy. His name is Satan. And so if you're a child of God, you are going to be an enemy of Satan. It's a fact. And the Bible says in Revelation 12, 10, it says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That means he's the one that's behind those people's faces that you see that motivates their persecution. He is the one behind that. He is the source. His whole army, and that's a whole other sermon, is behind and pushing against God's direction in his kingdom. So you need to recognize the source too. Refuse to retaliate. Now this is where it gets a little tougher. The Bible says, if someone does evil to you, don't pay him back with evil. Never take revenge. Let God's wrath do it. Well, he's certainly more capable of doing that. 
Now remember who the enemy is. The person attacking you is just the pawn in a game where the enemy loses. The enemy loses the game. Never forget that. So don't get too upset by that. Now, I want to bring you back to some specifics back in Matthew 5.11. I want to notice there are three types of persecution that you will face. Number one, it talks about are the insults. Insults is the dishonor, the discredit, saying derogatory things about you, about your work, about your personality, about the way you do life. He talks about in verse 11, persecution. That's mistreatment. We'll come to that later. And then it talks specifically also about people who tell lies about you. Flat lies. Bald face lies. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed that if people can't find something wrong in the way you're conducting your life, they will make things up. You see, even Jesus had faced this, and Jesus was our, our example. Jesus was accused of being a wine bibber, a drunk. That's what that means. A party animal. That's what they, they couldn't get him on anything theological or the way he behaved. So they said, well, look, he, he, beha- he, he hangs out with those sinners. And he drinks. He's always at the parties. That's what they tried to get Jesus on. Now notice how Jesus responded to that. First Peter 2.23 NIV. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. That's First Peter 2.23. I didn't put it on your outline. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Wow! What a contrast! That is how we are to behave. First Peter 2.23 in IV. When they hurled insults, and it hurts when they're throwing insults, you're parrying them left, right, and center. He did not retaliate. When he suffered... Oh, what?! When Jesus suffered, hold on, I didn't think I was supposed to suffer. You've been reading the wrong Bible. He did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, the third thing you do when you're being harassed, first of all, you respond positively. Okay, you recognize the source, you refuse to retaliate, and then thirdly, you respond positively. Read this next verse with me from Romans 12, 21. Let's read it together. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. I made a typo there. You know what I mean. <laughs> Romans 12, 21. Is that your normal reaction when you're put down? When somebody thumps you and pulls you down, do you want to retaliate? You know what, though, folks? You'll never get ahead if you're trying to get even. If you're always trying to get even, you'll never get ahead. So how do you respond positively? The Bible says here in Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And they will persecute you for your faith. Now, is this easy? Is this easy? Oh, I'm glad. Just making sure that we're all computing here. It is absolutely not easy to do this. Is this unusual? Yes. 
Is it what God says to do? Is it? Yeah, it is. That's exactly what he says to do. He says, don't react, respond positively. Because the moment you start retaliating, they have got you on the hook. They've baited you and you've taken the bait. And they're now controlling you. Don't do that. It's not good being on the end of a fish hook. Don't bite. One of the greatest principles, friends, we will ever learn is this. We can control our reactions with the help of the Holy Spirit. You can control that. Oh, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Don't kid yourself. Let me give you a fresh reminder from the last few weeks. You are having a battle with your spouse. You know, the heated stage, where there's a lot of heat, not much light. And all of a sudden, the phone goes, ring, ring. Hello? Oh, hi. How are you? Fine. What just happened there? You controlled yourself. But with the Holy Spirit's help, you can control your reactions. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Now, you can't control many things that happen to you, but you can choose to control your responses. So, he says here in verse 44, respond positively, love them, pray for them. Pray for their good. Pray that for God's will in their life. And number four, rejoice over it. Matthew 5, 12. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. Falsely. For my sake. Not because you just stole their car park and the corporate car park. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Now, he is not saying enjoy the pain. Then why is he saying rejoice? He says here, when people put you down for your faith, again, not because you're being obnoxious or pushy, but because you're being like Jesus, which means you are different in the office. People notice you're different at university. He says, don't complain, celebrate. You go, hang on, this guy's on another planet. Is he masochistic? Does he enjoy pain? That's a ridiculous statement. Well, let me give you three reasons why you should rejoice. Clear cut from the scriptures. Number one, first it means that God's spirit can be seen in me. God's spirit can be seen in me. That's the first reason to rejoice at the side. The Bible says, if you're insulted because of Christ, you are blessed for God's spirit rests on you. God's spirit rests on you. See, today there are too many Lady Clairol Christians. Only God knows for sure. Too many undercover believers. You know, the odd time I hear a line, and it says this, Well, my witness is my life. I'm thinking, be serious. Be serious about that. That is a very egotistical statement. You know, I'm so much like Jesus that when I walk into a room, people just repent. Really? People just may think you're a good Boy Scout because you don't swear 
or you know you arrive at work on time and you don't steal from the boss well what makes you any different from a good boy scout or a girl guide what's the difference you see you have to tell them by the way when was the last time you told somebody what you believed and you have to show them both have to be present we need audio visuals uh, Christians that show and tell and here's a question for you. If they outlawed Christianity, would there be enough evidence to convict you for being a Christian? In other words, at work, if they said, well, do you know if this guy's a Christian? Is this woman a Christian? How would they know? Would they know what you believed? Or would they mistake you for a girl guide? Or a boy scout? Would they know the difference? Could they prove it? Because he said, or he does, or da 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 da. How would that be? Or how about the neighbor? The neighbor's a great example. Would the neighbor know that you were a Christian? Or would they just say, well, circumstantially, I think I know they go to church but I have no clue what they believe. In fact, I'm sure they go, because I see them most Sundays going somewhere at the very early hour in the morning. Sometimes later than others, but they go. The second reason to rejoice. I should rejoice. It means that God can trust me. The Bible records when Peter and John were being persecuted for the gospel's sake. In fact, this is the first time recorded that any of the, um, the apostles had been physically harassed. Anybody been physically harassed for their faith in New Zealand? No, no takers on that one. Here we are, Acts 5.41. The apostles, when this happened, were so full of joy that God considered them worthy to suffer disgrace for, the, for Jesus' name. Now, in New Zealand, we know so little about persecution. Actually, around the world today, there is deadly persecution going on. Actually, the Pew Forum, their latest survey, which came out this month, shows in the country this morning, there are 133 countries where people will die for their faith. 133. In Nigeria, the militant Islamic group Boko Haram they're not very sophisticated, but they do have sh- machetes and they tend to use them on pregnant women and children who are Christians alone. Last year, 150,000 Christians were martyred for their faith. So since you got up from, to come to church this morning, and by the time you get home, 83 will have died today for their faith. For their faith. That's 16.7 an hour. We don't live in that kind of world. But are we really so blessed? Are we really so blessed? Do you know that those Christians in those countries that are persecuted pray for us? You know what they pray for us? That we wouldn't be seduced by the culture of our day. They say persecution has made them stronger. See, Christianity is like a nail, and the harder you drive it into the wood, the deeper it goes. 
One of the classic examples of this is the Korean church. The tremendous growth in the Korean church was born on the blood of martyrs. A hundred thousand of them in a hundred years. One of the classic stories that a prominent pastor and his family were taken. And the communists at those days dug a big hole in the ground and put the husband, wife, and three kids in that hole. And then they brought out the whole city around and said, Now, Pastor, renounce your faith that we're going to bury your wife and your kids alive. His kids started crying and grabbed his legs. Daddy, don't let us die. In a clearly horrific situation. He was getting ready to renounce his faith when his wife put her hand over his mouth and wouldn't let him speak and told the kids to be quiet. He said, we get to die for the glory of God. Now, is that so bad? Because you're going to die. All of us in this room are terminal. Are you going to die? Yeah. Would it be better to die for a cause than to die for nothing? If you're going to die anyway, why not make it worthwhile? That is the privilege of dying for Jesus Christ. Today, Korea has the largest... One church has over a million members. One church. When they do communion, they have to bring in tanker trucks for communion juice and bread trucks because there's so many. That church, the seeds of faith exploded in a harvest. Number three. Remember, persecution is only temporary. 2 Corinthians 4.17 These troubles, Paul says, won't last very long. Yes, this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever. See, Paul had an eternal perspective here. He could see past the short-term pain for the long-term gain. And he knew this, friends. Boy, I wish I had this with me all 100 and, well, 100% of the time. That nothing in this life lasts forever. The hardship endured was going to be a slight momentary affliction, Paul says, compared to how long he would enjoy God's presence forever. Trillions upon trillions upon trillions of years. Reaping the rewards of using my life here on earth, which I only get for maybe 80, 90 years if I'm lucky. What he saw was what's going to last is the eternal reward, not the momentary affliction. He wanted to make his life count. Now, when you get an internal perspective, all of a sudden something happens. Houses and stereos and BMWs don't mean two bits. Who cares? It's all just trash. It's worth nothing. It's temporary. Remember, it won't last. So when you somebody behind your back calls you a Jesus freak or a weirdo, remember it's only temporary. The goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. 
And if you're like Jesus, somebody is not going to like it and they're going to tell you. So number five, how do I handle harassment for your faith? Leads me to the next point. You need to remember my reward. You need to keep that in focus. Did you know, Nathan, that there are levels of reward in heaven? There are levels of reward in heaven. That's a whole other study, a great one to do. The Bible says there will be a great reward for people who handle harassment with the right attitude. Verse 12 says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward. Not average, not small, great is your reward in heaven. It's saying that Jesus reserves special honors for those who experience persecution and stand up for their faith. With the right attitude. The Bible says here in Romans 8, 17. Since we are God's children. Okay. If we share Christ's suffering. Now, that's a good question. Is yours a Christianity of convenience? Or a Christianity of commitment and character? If we share in Christ's suffering. We will also share in his glory. Now, you and I, to be honest, have no idea what that involves. It is so unbelievably astounding, stunning, we can't even comprehend it. Focus on the reward. And all of a sudden, the persecution. Who gives a rap? Matthew 19. By the way, that'll help you when you're at school and you get those put-downs. Or in university and people think... Are you crazy believing the Bible? Matthew nineteen twenty nine. Whatever you give up for the Lord here on earth, he will restore a hundredfold in eternity. That, friends, is 10,000% interest. Oh, my goodness. Wouldn't that be good at the moment? You'd be lucky if you can get 5%. And that's stretching it. So how do we respond? We focus on the future rewards. We recognize the source. We respond pos- um, and positively because it's only temporary anyway. And the reward will far outweigh that convenience. Number six, you remain faithful. You persevere in what is doing right. The Bible says here in 1 Peter 4.19, For those who suffer according to God's will. Now we could just stop right there. Did you just hear what I read? What God said, for those who suffer according to God's will, should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now, you're not going to hear that verse preached too much on Christian TV. Because according to them, God always wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and a millionaire. And have a pro- not have a problem in the world. And by the way, if you haven't got health, wealth, and prosperity, it's because you either lack faith, they say, or you're a sinner. They need to read their Bibles. That is a false gospel, friends. It is called the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And it has no place in the reading of Scripture. And all you need to do to prove that is you need to read from Genesis through Revelation. You tell me whether that's the case. This verse here is a classic one. Here it says that the Bible sometimes says that you can sometimes suffering is God's will. That verse there shows you. Now that's the exact opposite of what that other gospel attempts to teach. The name it, claim it, 
frame it and flame it. It's crazy. Then it says, that verse, that those who are suffering should do what? If you're suffering, what should you do? It said you should, what does it say? Commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Ouch. That takes perseverance. That takes faith. Remain faithful and persevere in doing what is right. Now, people can laugh at you, but people cannot stop you unless you let it. Last time I checked, the laugh I put down never, never destroyed anybody. Paul's a good example of this. He was unstoppable. He says, I am going back to Jerusalem. I'm friends with him. No, no, don't do that. There are, there are madmen there who've committed, made a vow to who they think God is to not even sleep or eat until they've killed you. And Paul says, well, big deal. God's going to die sometime. I'm going. That man, I so much admire for his commitment. Flint-faced. Irrespective. Now, I have a question for you today. What does it take to stop you? little word of criticism, a little snide comment, feeling in, you're in the outer group. Somebody in the office thinks you're a weirdo. Again, another Christian businessman I know is a fairly new Christian. This guy went from two maids and a limousine to moving in with a friend in a two-year test of his faith, but he stuck to his commitments. There was no compromise. He was not given to pressure. Now as we finish this, this is the business end of this sermon. I want you to take those notes out and I want you to ask yourself some of these questions. I want to ask you a couple of tough questions. The first one is this. What is your faith costing you as you live for Christ? In 133 countries around the world, it's costing their lives. In fact, when I go to some of those countries, I don't even feel like I'm a Christian. Because their commitment is through the blooming roof. We have it so easy here in New Zealand. We have convenient Christianity. Much of the world would love to have our problems. Love it! And many of us have never really had to sacrifice for Jesus. So the first question again was, what is your faith really costing you? The second question is, what, at what cost would you stay faithful to Christ? I want you to do a little personal evaluation. What would cause you to deny your faith? Because the truth is today, most of us are worried, more worried about convenience than persecution. Convenience. For example, it drove me mad this week. I happened to be listening. I listened to tons of things. I happened to listen to a pastor who, who was congratulating his congregation and saying, thank you for coming out in the rain. I'm going, what is your problem? 
braving the rain. You know, out of your warm, dry house and into your heated car with an umbrella walking for 50 meters in the rain, you poor souls. That is not sacrifice. We need to redefine what sacrifice is. Today, the mentality, if it's not convenient, forget it. Ooh, it's a bit windy out. Number three. How many people know you're a Christian? Know that you're a Christian? No, I didn't say go to church. Forget that. Take that. That's not the question here. How many people know you are a Christian? How many of them know what you believe? There's a big difference. See, the number one reason we don't witness is a fear of rejection. What will they think if we tell them that God loves them? If we say that Jesus Christ died for your sins, what will they think? What will they think if I invite them to the Easter service next Sunday? What would they think? You know what? I don't care what they think. This is how my man thinks. If a house is burning down or a boat is overturned, I'm in that water and I'm trying to help that person get out of that thing alive. What they think is material. They're dying and they're going to hell. If they don't know what you think, how will I even know what the alternatives are? How will I know unless somebody tells them? And Jesus Christ has given that job to me and to you. To share unashamedly with some backbone with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. There are people all around us, folks. Actually, about 128,000 people around us. We can stick our thumb on top of the botany and draw a little circle around the top. And most of those people are going to hell. How many, yeah, this is just the way my mind works. I know, fact, one day I'm going to walk across this line and one thing, as far as it depends upon me, I want to be able to say, well, Lord, I've done my best to tell and I've had a plan to try and tell people. And as far as it depends upon this church, we're going to have a new season coming up where we're going to take that 128,000 and we're going, by the, by the grace of Jesus, going to go after and strategize a plan to systematically go through that so that at least they know there's an alternative to nothing. We're going to, if we don't do that, we're falling short. And we have to be intentional. If that's you and you have a passion for the lost, I want you to write in your communication card, count me in. Because I want you to be part of that planning session and how we're going to do that. The problem is, folks, we're often afraid of being seen as different. And we want our Christianity and our culture together. We want both. It doesn't work like that. If you do all these things we talked about today, you are going to be harassed and hassled. But never let anybody laugh you out of living for Christ. And Jesus is very honest. He never watered down the price of commitment. Jesus said it this way. There is a price to be followed, paid for following me. There is a price. And you need to know that before you get in. 
And you also need you to know this, that popularity on earth is never guaranteed by the Gospels. Never. But your reward in heaven is guaranteed forever. That is. That's exciting. Jim Elliot, famous missionary, said this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. See, you and I won't be in heaven five minutes before you and I are saying, ah, why didn't I give more? Why didn't I serve more? Why didn't I love more? Why didn't I witness more? Why didn't I make my life count? Why did I waste it on things that don't, didn't even matter for 10 years, much less all of eternity? So the question I want to finish up here is, is how are you using your life? Are you on this earth to build your kingdom or God's kingdom? To feather your own nest or to build God's kingdom and move the ball for the kingdom down the ground, down the field? I invite you to join the winning team that's committed to doing that and not getting distracted. Woodrow Wilson one of my famous presidents said this, I'd rather temporarily lose with a cause that will ultimately succeed than temporarily succeed in something that will ultimately lose. See, we need to capture that eternal vision. We need to see past the distractions to the purposes and the rewards of God. So how do you get those rewards? Three quick things. One, The first step is you must commit to following Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that today, my friend, you need to do that. Second, you need to be baptized. And if Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Let me tell you exactly what he says in Mark 8, 38. You may want to write this down. He says this, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this, listen to what he calls our culture, This adulterous and sinful generation. That's what he calls it. The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in glory and the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So if you haven't got baptized, on the back of that communication card, you need to check, I'm going to get baptized. Then the third step is you need to join a church and get involved. Now if it's not New Hope, fine. But find somewhere, find a body and say, that's my church. And don't just sit on the sidelines. That takes no commitment at all. Find out how you can help personally move the ball up the field for the kingdom of God and gain some yardage. Whether you've got five years left or 50 years left, make your life Count for Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, Jesus is saying this. Friends, live your life by conviction, not convenience. Would you bow your heads with me? This morning, as we've looked at this convicting topic, what is your faith costing you? Have you gotten into an air-conditioned faith? 
that's basically just a matter of convenience. Oh, if it's convenient, I'll live for the Lord. If it's convenient, I'll serve the Lord. If it's convenient, I'll give to the Lord. If it's convenient, I'll show up on time. What would it cost you to stay faithful to Jesus Christ? What cost would that be? Because I doubt anybody here in New Zealand will threaten your life yet. They might, but I doubt it. But there certainly will be people who threaten you and ridicule you or reject you or make snide remarks about you. They'll do that and they'll snub you. And you certainly won't get invited to some activities. And people will talk behind your back. Or they may give you that disapproving glance and you know what that looks like. How many people today know that you are Christian? Or are you one of those clear old Christians? Only God knows for sure. You see, Jesus clearly said there was a price to be paid for following in him. And it really comes down to the issue of the heart. And the rewards, though, he says, far exceed the price. Now, as we close out this series, I'm going to ask you to recommit yourself to being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Who is not ashamed to share their faith. And use their life, the one life that you've got, to pursue God's agenda. In your life today, would you say, God, I want to quit playing around with you. Starting tomorrow morning, I want to get back into your word. Forgive me. I want you to be number one because you are the most important person to me. I want my life to count for your kingdom. Whether you give me five years, Lord, or 50. Now today, if you've never committed your life to Christ, now is the perfect time to do that. Just say in your mind, because he hears every thought that you have. Father, forgive me for my sin. And help me understand your incredible plan of salvation. I want you in my life. I want you to be the manager of my life. For you to call the shots. Some of you need to say, I've never been baptized and made a public statement. You need to do that. You need to say, I'm going to be baptized at the next baptism. And publicly say, I am not ashamed to say that I'm a Christian. Some of you here today need to say, I'm going to join a church. I'm going to get involved. I'm not just going to sit on the sideline. I'm not going to be a spectator. I am going to be an active participant. Not just a consumer, but I am going to be a contributor to your kingdom. And Jesus says, do you happy as that person? Because happiness does not come from popularity or prestige or power or position. But it comes from fulfilling the purposes of God for your life. Which he made you do. 
You were made to know God and to love Him and to serve Him and to fellowship with His church. Father, make us strong not to be ashamed of You. Help us work for You tomorrow at work, at school, at uni, and in our homes. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all the people said,